well, there's a blessing. Hey, thanks for coming back tonight. You know, it's a rare thing for people to come back on Sunday night. Praise God, you love Jesus. And I appreciate you coming out. You know, every series of services have their particular emphasis and, and you know, their uh, different flow. Uh, I told you this morning, I know how to get happy and run around and get excited. But I just had something in my heart I wanted to share tonight by the Spirit of God that I think will be a blessing to you as a Christian. It'll be informative and uh, encouraging, but also uh, motivational. Uh, just pertaining to the times and seasons in which we're living, you know, God always looks for a people that will yield to Him and cooperate with Him. Uh, and do mighty things. Uh, so uh, we want to talk to you about that tonight. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, the apostle Paul, of course, uh, said, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore frighten one another with these words. Is that what is? <laughs> That's the way some people preach it. But he said, no, comfort one another with these words. It should be a comforting thing for you and I as a Christian to know that one day uh, we will pass from this life into the realm of eternity with God forevermore. Amen. Uh, so it's pretty exciting. And then, of course, in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 51, the Apostle Paul said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment at the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Uh, for the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then will be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Amen. And then, of course, my favorite in John, the Gospel of John, beginning in uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may uh, be also. You know, man, I tell you, ever since I was seven years old, I was born again as a Baptist boy. And I used to jump up and down, man. I'd say, Mom and Dad, wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus came today? And, you know, I meant it then, and I'm still looking for him. And I know it's, uh, we call these scriptures the blessed hope of every Christian. Uh, and we believe it's an imminent reality that we certainly are uh, in the season of Christ's return. We know that we don't understand the day nor the hour, but we can certainly discern by the signs of the time and society, nature and the world, the alignment of the nations and so forth, that the time is drawing near. And I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to it. But while we're waiting, we've got a job to do as the body of Christ, and God needs us. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight about, just mobilizing the body of Christ and, and uh, cooperating with Him in these end times as as the body of Christ. So uh, how many of you, I asked this question this morning because I don't get to share these things everywhere I go if there's not a familiarity. 
But I, I ask you, how many of you are familiar with Kenneth E. Hagen? If you are, raise your hand if you've heard or read a book or something along those lines. So see, now I know why I'm kind of led in this direction. So most of you would be your pastors are graduate. We have other graduates of Rama Bible Training Center uh, here. I was a graduate of that Bible school. Uh, uh, I travel with Kenneth E. Hagen for 11 years personally, and also uh, Shelley, of course, travel for three and a half of those with us. And so followed his ministry for a long time. Uh, Brother Hagen was born. I want to give you a little history about his life because I think it would be important. Some of the things that he received as a man of God was not for him personally, but was for you and I as the body of Christ. So he was born uh, August the 20th, 1917. Now that's the same year that the Jews begin to migrate back to the land of Israel, which is very significant. Because just prior to his birth, uh, his mother, of course, was having trouble with the pregnancy. You may have read the books, but when you travel with someone 11 years, uh, 150, year, 150 days a year, two services a day, you hear the stories over and over. You get a little more detail. You know what I mean? So uh, she was having some trouble with the pregnancy just a few weeks before he was born. Of course, her husband uh, would leave for weeks and months at a time and finally left for good. You know, you don't have to come from a perfect family to be mightily used of God. Most all of us have some dysfunctionalism in our families, but uh, God can use anyone. So Brother Hagen did come from a dysfunctional uh, family in some uh, uh, aspects of the word. So his mother was under duress because of that, and so she said, I'm going to go down to my mom's house and get some food. So it was, she said it was a bright, sunny August day. Uh, she began to, to walk down the sidewalk, and she said she passed her Aunt Mary's house. And when she did, she heard what sounded like a wind blowing through the leaves of the trees, and yet there were no trees in the immediate vicinity. So she said she kept walking. She heard this breeze again. Earlier, when she looked up in the sky, it was a clear blue sky, not a cloud in the sky. But she said this time, as I looked up, there was a single white cloud suspended in the sky. Now, this is her testimony. She said, all of a sudden, that cloud began to descend rapidly. And she said, in a moment of time, that cloud was before me on the sidewalk, and Jesus stepped out of that cloud. And quite naturally, the first thing he said was, fear not. <laughs> You know what I mean. Uh, so you would naturally have a little fear there. So he said, fear not, the child shall be born. And he shall bear witness concerning the second coming of uh, my second coming. And he will have a part of the last great revival in the earth. Uh, so she said, you know, he disappeared. Took, she took off running to her mom's house. When she got there, her mom said, what in the world happened to you? You're white as a ghost. She said, well, I told her what uh, happened. She said, I never mentioned it again. My mother never mentioned it again. She said, because if you told people back in her day that Jesus stepped out of a cloud in front of you on the sidewalk and said, fear not, your child shall be born, they would think you were crazy. So she never gave testimony of it. But later in Brother Hagin's life, uh, in one of the visitations he had with the Lord, the Lord told him, I appeared before uh, to your mother before you were born and, and expounded the vision uh, to or the, the experience to him. And he verified it with his mom. I told you that to say that many people are familiar with Kenneth e. Hagin's commission to go teach my people faith. 
you know, he brought the message of faith to this generation. But many people are not familiar with the second and subsequent commission, and equally important, which was to bear witness concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ and to have a part of the last great revival in the earth. And that's what I want to talk to you tonight about. Uh, you know, Brother Hagin uh, uh, was a prophet and a teacher. Now, that seems a little funny if you're not uh, uh, familiar with those scriptural terms. But Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12, uh, the Bible tells us, When Christ ascended, he gave gifts unto men, first apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the prophetic office is a valid office in the New Testament dispensation. And as a prophet, Brother Hagin had several visions that pertained to the time and season that you and I are now living in. And I want to expound upon those tonight. Uh, you say visions, are those scripturals? Is, is this goofy? No, Acts 2 and 17. In the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Notice, your young men shall do what? See visions, your old men shall dream dreams. So if you do have a dream and you don't want to be considered old, just say it was a night vision, right? <laughs> so uh, anyhow, he had two visions, and I want to tell you about them as a young man because they're significant for you and I, okay? They weren't for him, they're for us. So the first one was in 1950 in Rockwall, Texas. Brother Hagen was 33 years old. And uh, he, w he was holding a tent meeting. He said it rained all day. So about uh, 40 people came out that night because of the weather. And you know, amazing things can happen in small groups of people, right? So about 40 people came out. He said he gave a short Bible lesson. And then he asked the people to come down to the altar uh, to pray. And so he never expected to happen what did happen. He said he went up on the platform. He nailed by, uh, knelt by a, a folding chair. And uh, he said he just began to pray in the Spirit. And he said as he began to pray in the Spirit, he heard someone say, uh, come up here. And uh, he thought some kid outside the tent, you know, was playing. And so he just kept praying. And then he heard it again, come up here. So he said he opened his eyes, and when he did, there was Jesus standing where the top of the tent pole should be. Now, this vision was multifaceted, but I'm going to share the parts of the vision that are pertinent to our discussion tonight. In one facet of this vision, Brother Hagin said he was standing in what appeared to him to be space because it was utter darkness. There wasn't a bush, a bird, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, no, no signs of life, except off in the distance there was what appeared to him to be a light. And he said as he looked, the light began to move closer to him, and as it approached him, he could see it was a horse. And then he said, I could see clearly as it came closer, there was a rider on the horse. And then as this rider approached me, he said, I could clearly see there was a rider on a horse. He was holding a scroll in his left hand and the reins of the horse in his right. And as he approached me, he said, you know, he took the scroll from his left hand. He, he put it in his right hand, handed it to Brother Hagen, and he said, open and read. Uh, and so Brother Hagen said he opened the scroll. It was about 12 to 14 inches long, a parchment. 
and as he began to read, he was struck dumb, and this angel or beings put his hand on his head and said, Read in Jesus' name. Now, this scroll had several things that were uh, pertaining to America as a nation specifically and the judgment that would come if, if we didn't turn and so forth. But the part I want to share with you is this. At, uh, on the top of the scroll in large black bold letters were written these words, The time of the end of all things is at hand. The time of the end of all things is at hand four or five times. Now, remember, this is 1950. And then he said, Jesus turned to me and said, this is the last great revival. Then Jesus said to him, the church shall begin to make tremendous advancements in the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. All the gifts of the Spirit will be in operation. This Latter-day Church will far exceed the impact and influence of the early church with signs, wonders, and miracles and the proclamation of the gospel. Then it was written on the scroll these words, As it was in the days of Noah, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. As I finally spoke to Noah and said, In yet seven days I'll cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights, and I'll destroy every living thing that I've created from the face of the earth. Even now I'm speaking to this generation. And he told Brother Hagen, Warn this generation as Noah did his. Tell them the time they have left is comparable to the last seven days of Noah prior to the flood. Wow. So we're in the seventh decade just since that vision, just saying, not prophesying. Okay. But uh, he said, tell them that. And, and, you know, he said, tell my people, listen, I'm preparing them for my coming. Judgment will come upon the earth, but I'll take my people out before the worst shall come. Aren't you glad about that? <laughs> And then he said to him a second time, he said, this is the last great revival. And then the last words on the scroll, the time of the end of all things is at hand. Now, I want you to think about that. That's 1950. You know, prophetically speaking, we tend to think about things in days, weeks, months, and years. God thinks in years, decades, and centuries. You know, he's a little bit, uh, his time's a little different than ours. But I want you to remember those, those things. Now, Twelve years later, uh, 1962, Brother Hagin's 45 years old. He has a second vision, 1962. He's in a small church in Houston, Texas, December the 12th. Uh, once again, amazing things happen in small groups of people, right? So he's uh, about to minister, and he said all of a sudden, you know, he falls into a trance, and he has a vision. Is that weird? No. Uh, what happens in Acts chapter 9, remember? Peter goes up on the housetop to pray. He falls into a trance and he has a vision. Exactly. Same thing happened here in this situation. And in this vision, Brother Hagin said, he said, I walked up to what appeared to me to be a flower garden. It was square. It was surrounded by a white picket fence. He said, the aroma of the flowers were absolutely breathtaking. As I approached the gate, he said, Jesus met me at the gate. Opened the gate, took me by the hand, closed the gate. And he said, we walked down a path holding hands uh, in uh, the center of this garden to an arbor 
that was likewise covered with flowers, and there were two white marble seats uh, under this arbor. He said, Jesus sat on one and motioned for him to sit down on the other. Now he said, I came in from the east, so I was looking toward the west. And he said, as I looked, there was this huge river that was flowing into this garden. It went up into the air. It was about 50 feet at its widest diameter. And it narrowed as it came into the garden. And it was pouring tons of water into this garden. He said, all of a sudden, I'm looking at the river that is water. And before my eyes, it's transformed into people. Millions of people from every walk of life, every nation, every kindred, every tongue. Millions of people are flowing into this garden. And he said, I turned to the Lord Jesus. This is 1962. And he said, what is this? Who are these people? And Jesus said, this is that which I will do now in this last hour. I'm going to begin to visit hungry hearts. He said, first of all, in every denomination of the world. He said, also, I'm going to visit every nation of the world. He said, I'll visit other religions, places you never thought I would visit. Wherever hearts are open to me, hungry for me, I will visit them. And I'm going to bring them into the fullness of salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And he said, and you'll have a part of this. Now, thinking about those two visions and how it relates to us right now. He said, the time of the end of all things is at hand. The church is going to begin to make tremendous advancements in the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. They will far exceed the impact of the early church. I'm going to begin to visit hungry hearts in every denomination, every uh, nation, every kindred, every tongue, every religion. And this is what I'll do in the last hour. You'll have a part. Now, if you know your church history, if you're relatively young to the church, then you don't realize in 1962, friends, uh, there were no Andover Christian fellows. Fellowships, the Rock Church, Living Word, Revolution Church. Are you kidding me? None of that existed. There were only, and thank God for them, mainline denominational churches, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Catholic, Wesleyan, Assembly of God, and Church of God is the Pentecostal segments. But there were only mainline denominational churches, very few people baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was a very small minority in the church. And Jesus said, here we go. The church is going to make advancements. This is the last great revival. And what I want you to see tonight is uh, tremendous things have happened from 1967 when the Holy Spirit, what we now know as the charismatic renewal, began. With the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a global scale, the church has made amazing and tremendous advancements in the earth beyond your wild imagination. Let me give you a few statistics just to help you understand uh, where we are as the body of Christ. In the 1960s, on the entire continent of Africa, there were only 10 million Christians. 
At that time, there were 400 million uh, people on the continent of Africa with 10 million Christians. In a little over 50 years, there's now 1.2 billion people on the continent of Africa and over 500 million Christians. Woo! Every single day, somewhere on the continent of Africa, 20,000 people are converted to Christianity. Hallelujah. Amen. Little Reinhard Bonnke, you remember him? 1967, Assembly of God preacher from Germany. Man, he went into Africa, began to preach. Now they have over 48 to 50 million souls that have come into the kingdom just under their ministry alone. In China, in the 1950s, the communist regime expelled all the missionaries from China. They left behind one million of Protestant Christians and three million Catholics. From 1960s forward, in a little over 50 years, uh, now China has gone from 1 million evangelicals to over 200 million, and those are just the ones we can count because of the underground churches, the secret meetings, right? And they are now under a great deal of persecution. Brother Hagen used to to talk about that in prayer school. He said, now the Iron Curtain will come down, it'll be down for a short time, and then it will go right back up. So we're seeing that now taking place. So we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in China. But every single day, anywhere from 10 to 25,000 Chinese give their hearts to Christ. And I gain these statistics from various organizations around the world. So, you know, they change rapidly. But that's some good news, isn't it? Uh, you think about Latin America. In Latin Latin America in the 1960s, there were about, uh, uh, let's see, what was it, uh, 18 million evangelicals in the whole of Latin America and 12.6 million Pentecostals of that particular denomination. Guess what's happened in a little over 50 years? That number has grown from 18 million evangelicals to over 480 million evangelicals, 70% of all of them baptized in the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. The Pentecostal denomination in Latin America has gone from 12.6 million to 168 million. They're, they're, you know, they're, they hold 40% of the world's Pentecostals, right, in Latin America. So it's quite amazing. India, right, 85 million Christians in India. Every single month, friends, 100,000 Hindus convert to Christianity in the midst of tremendous persecution now. They're fifth in the world for Pentecostal Christianity. Behind Brazil, United States, Nigeria, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, China, and then India. So it's, it's amazing. Things are really happening. You've heard of Nepal a little Himalayan country. Prior to 1960, it was illegal to live in Nepal if you were a Christian. In 1965, they had 25 registered Christians. Now, uh, 50 years, they've got 75 districts. Every district has a church. Over a million converts in that small little Himalayan country. Whoa, I wonder if anything, I wonder if we're going to have revival. We are in revival. Sometimes we look at what we see in our particular paradigm and scope of vision, and we don't realize what's happening on a global scale. The harvest is being reaped. 
fruit. The church is alive and well and moving as a mighty force in the earth. Jesus said to Brother Hagin, I'm going to visit other religions wherever their hearts are open to me. I just uh, I had a friend of mine who's a missionary, Joe and Mary Purcell. You might know them. Uh, he sent a link to Al Jazeera satellite television where a Saudi cleric was being interviewed by a fellow Muslim. And uh, this cleric said, a tragedy is occurring in Islam. And he said, what is the tragedy? He said, 667 an hour, 16,000 a day, almost 6 million a year of our Muslims are converting to Christianity. Wow. And he said, man, you're mistaken. You mean from every other religion? He said, no, from Islam alone. He said, indeed, that is a tragedy, but it isn't, is it? <laughs> See, the news media will tell you that Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world, but they count births. We count new births, conversions, right? So just a few more. Indonesia, the largest Muslim country in the world. They also have some of the largest Christian congregations. Every single year, one million converts to Christianity. Glory to God. What am I saying to you, friends? You're a part of something amazing. We are the largest religion in the world, 2.18 billion. We're the fastest growing religion in the world at an annual increase of 6.9, as opposed to the Muslims at 2.7, the Hindus at 2.2, uh, and the Buddhist at 1.7. So we're the fastest growing religion in the world. God said, we're going to, uh, Jesus said, we'll far exceed the impact of the early church. The largest number of people we see saved in the book of Acts at one time, 3,000, then 5,000. That happens every 25 minutes now. When you close your eyes tonight and you open your eyes tomorrow, there'll be 175,000 new Christians on the planet. Glory to God. Amen. So amazing, amazing things are happening. And we're a part of the body of Christ and we're alive and well. So the question is, okay, wonderful. Things are happening. What do we do? What's the plan? And I want to tell you what the plan is. The plan is the same plan it's always been. God's plan is you and me. The sons and the daughters. The servants and the handmaidens, right? Notice Acts 2.17 again, uh, reading also through 21. He said, in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your what? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And upon my servants and upon my handmaidens. I'll pour out of my spirit in those days and they will prophesy and I'll show wonders in the heavens above, signs in the earth beneath. Notice verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So notice it's not exclusively in this day about the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Thank God for those offices. But what it is about now is is the body of Christ at large, the sons and the daughters, the, the servants and the handmaidens, born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, empowered with the Spirit, impacting people's lives for the kingdom of God supernaturally. If you're a Christian and you're breathing on this planet, God doesn't want you just to go to work, come home, make money, pay your bills, and raise your kids. We understand that's a part of it. But man, He wants our lives to be supernatural and be an adventure 
in God impacting other lives with the kingdom that we carry. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight, okay? So thinking about that, you know, uh, do you mind if I share uh, another prophecy with you? Just prior to Brother Hagin's departure, just a couple of years before, we were in a Holy Ghost meeting. And uh, he, we call, for about seven or eight years, we did what we called Holy Spirit meetings, which is simply... Uh, those were meetings where the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit were emphasized, okay? Uh, but uh, he began to prophesy one night and also have, have vision in, in correspondence with the prophetic utterance. And these were the words. He said, if it could be told you, if it were possible for you to look into the future and see that which is coming, he said, your hearts would be glad. If you could look into the future and see that which is in store, he said, it would be difficult for some of you even to believe, but it shall surely come. The power of God in manifestation shall come. And he said, where we've seen a few saved here and a few saved there, many shall be saved here, many shall be saved there. We are already experiencing the reality of that. Where there's been a few filled with the Spirit here and a few filled with the Spirit there, many shall be filled here, many shall be filled there. Where there's been a few healed here, and a few healed there, an outstanding healing here, an outstanding healing there, many healings. He said, as Elijah said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. First, he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand rising out over the sea. You remember that in 1 Kings 18? Brother Hagin said, I see a cloud rising on the horizon of time. And I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. He said, glory to God, the rain is coming. The former and the latter rain falling upon his saints, falling upon good ground. And when that spirit manifests himself, all those around shall be blessed. Not only will you be blessed and your family be blessed, but everyone you come in contact with will be blessed. Now he went on to say, now we get excited about that, right? But then he went on to say some very profound words. The Holy Ghost said, now sit and say, Let's see it come. And when it comes, I'll rejoice. And nothing will happen. That's pretty powerful, right? Nothing will happen. He said, arise. Leap into the realm of the Spirit. Into the waters. Not waters represent the Spirit. Not just waters to wade in. Not just the shallows, dabbling. Waters to swim in. What does he say? Position yourself in the spirit, right? And then he said, and the rain will come and the glory will fall and the healings will be in greater manifestation and your hearts will be glad. So here's the point, friends. Listen, God needs us. You say, really? Absolutely. He said, sit and say, let's see it come and nothing will happen. Why? Because we're the catalyst through which the plans and purposes and divine intentions of God are executed in the earth. We are the body. He is the head, right? Colossians 1.18 tells us that. Well, even in the natural, aren't the purposes and intentions of the head dependent upon the cooperation of the body? It doesn't matter how much this head 
wants to walk over to Pastor Jim, if this body doesn't carry this head, this head's not going anywhere. So once again, Jesus is the head. We're the body. The purposes of the head are contingent upon the cooperation of the body. Well, if that's a reality, guess what? A further reality holds true. I can't and you can't participate in things we don't perceive, right? And I can't perceive the leadings of the Spirit unless I'm living and walking in the Spirit. Does that make sense? If God needs our cooperation and I can't participate in things I don't perceive, and I can't perceive the leadings and promptings of the Spirit unless I'm living and walking in the Spirit, then quite naturally, man, I need to make sure I'm doing what's necessary to be receptive. Amen. Now, when I talk about walking in the Spirit, I'm not talking about being weird, walking around in some kind of trance, you know? I'm talking about a place that you, you and I occupy in God through the communion of the Holy Spirit where we see things and we know things and we perceive things that we would not see or know or perceive otherwise. Does that make sense? Uh, in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, you remember the Apostle John? Notice his statement. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now what does that mean? He said, I was in a place, man. Right? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And basically he said, because I was, I saw things and I heard things. Right? Now I want you to notice this scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. I have not seen Ear hath not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him, but is revealed them unto us, how? By a spirit, right? So what he's saying is, listen, there's some things your natural eyes are not going to see. There's some things your natural ears are not going to hear, and your natural rational being will not perceive, Right? They've been revealed to him uh, by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man, save the spirit of God. Now we've received not the spirit which is of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but in that which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. This is the verse I want you to get. Now notice this. For the natural man receives not the things of the spirit. Why? Because they're foolishness to him. You try to explain spiritual things to an unregenerate, unborn-again person, you're going to lose them, right? The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit because they're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are what? Spiritually discerned. One translation says the natural man perceives not the things of the Spirit. So I got a question for you. If a natural man cannot perceive the things of the Spirit... Can a carnal man, 
meaning a person that's born again, but they live the majority of their life and concentration in the realm of the natural unresponsive to spiritual things can they perceive probably not as readily does that make sense so i can't participate once again in things i don't perceive and i can't perceive the leading of the spirit unless i'm walking and living in the spirit let me just show you this acts 14 8 through 10 Acts chapter 14, verses 18 uh, 8 through 10. Paul, of course, is preaching in Lystra. Notice what it says. A certain man sat at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never walked. The same heard Paul speak. Now watch Paul, who steadfastly beholding him and doing what? Perceiving that he had faith to heal, said, be healed, said, stand upright on thy feet. And, of course, the man leaped and walked and began to praise God. So the point is, watch this. The perception preceded the demonstration. Paul steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Most often, the most effective faith in dealing and ministering to people is that which is initiated by the Holy Spirit. You perceive it. And you cooperate with it. And then you get a lot better results. You see what I'm saying? This is the way that Jesus lived his life and executed his ministry. In direct response to the Father's leading through the person of the Holy Spirit. That's his testimony. John, the fifth chapter. Notice the 19th verse. What did Jesus say? Verily I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself. What? The Son can do nothing of Himself except what He sees the Father do. But whatsoever things the Father does or He does, the Son does likewise. So basically saying once again, look, I live my life and I minister to people in direct response to the promptings and the leadings of the Holy Spirit uh, that the Father gives me, right? And that's the way you and I need to function. I don't know if you know it or not. But God wants to use you, every single person in this room, in a very mighty way, impacting people's lives in your sphere of life and influence. We're not going to get people inside the doors of the church sometimes until their lives are impacted on the outside of the doors. You know, many times that's, you look in the book of Acts, it was in the highways and the byways and the marketplace, right? So, he said, this is how I, I function. This is how I, I carry out my life and my ministry. So in the very first portion of that vision in 1950, remember he was in the tent meeting? And I said the vision was multifaceted, but I just shared the parts that I was, was pertinent. The very first thing that happened was... He said, I opened my eyes. There's Jesus standing where the top of the tent pole should be. And he said, in a moment, I'm standing before him. And he is holding the most beautiful crown. He said, this crown was beyond words. The jewels in that crown were absolutely astounding. And he said, I asked Jesus, Lord, what is this crown? And he said, well, this is the soul winner's crown. But now listen to this. Jesus said, but I say to my people, go here. Go there, minister to this one, speak to that one. And he said, they're so busy, so preoccupied, they miss the divine cues. And he said, as a result, souls are lost and people go unministered to. 
right? So what I'm endeavoring to share with you tonight is, yeah, we may be a small group of people tonight. But when the Holy Spirit of God came on the day of Pentecost, everything changed. It launched a group of individuals who were timid and fearful into bold and courageous believers, anointed of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, things happened. And God can use people who will listen to Him and respond to Him in supernatural ways. You know, my sister, she's not a, a Bible school graduate. She doesn't have an arsenal of Bible verses at her disposal. But you know one thing she does? She hosts the presence of God. And what I mean by that, she's, a, you know, she's raising my cousin's kid because of drugs. Uh, she has her own business, successful in business. Uh, she's a busy person. But when she's home, if she's cleaning, she's... I worship you, Lord. Washing dishes. I sing praises to your name. Just hosting the presence of God. Staying sensitive. And she has the most amazing experiences as a handmaiden of the Lord, not as a prophetess, right? <laughs> a handmaiden. She told me, you know, uh, she was going down to the bank, going through the drive-through to make a deposit. She said, Marty, I didn't put on any makeup, wasn't intending on going in anywhere, just driving to the bank. And she said, as I went down the, the street to the bank, I passed this antique store that I pass every time I go by. But she said, when I passed that antique store, she said, I had a sense. Now, did you notice that? What is that? A perception. Not a vision, not an audible voice, a sense. And they can be very subtle. Uh, the leadings of the Spirit are not always a sentence. They're a sense. They're a perception. It'll come up out of your heart into your thought many times. And if it comes up several times, you should listen to that. So she said, I had a sense I should go into that antique store. She said, but I didn't have any makeup on, so I kept riding. And she said, the further I, I went, though, she said, I got grieved in my spirit. I know the Holy Ghost, she said. So I, I knew I was grieving. So I turned around. I went into the parking lot. I got out. I went into the antique store. I had no idea why I'm in the antique store. See, this is, this is handmaiden on a mission. <laughs> Not goofy. Just following the, the prompting. I'm looking at antiques, she said, because I don't know why I'm in there. And then she said, I saw this woman and man. And they were talking to each other over in the distance. And she said, when I saw that woman, I knew that's my divine target. Now, my sister is the type of individual, she, she's bold as a lion. If she knows it's God, she could care less what anybody thinks about it. So she, and God needs more people like that because you know what? Uh, when you're full of the Holy Ghost, you're bold as a lion because you know, right? There's a sense of confidence. So she went over to the woman and to the man, and she said, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt your conversation. But she looked that woman in the eye. She said, but ma'am. I'm here on assignment from Almighty God. Now, she said she didn't even know what the assignment was. That's where faith comes in. But you take your step and God will take his. So she said, I'm here on assignment from Almighty God. She said that woman began to weep and cry right there in the antique store and started telling her story.
And she said, you know, when I was young, my neighbors took me to Sunday school. I remember singing Jesus Loves Me and asking Jesus in my heart. Uh, but all these years I've been backslidden. I, I don't have a church. I don't have a pastor. I've been out of fellowship. She said, but you know something? The most pressing thing at this moment is I've been diagnosed with cancer seven places in my body. And she said, I have been calling out to God to please save me and to heal me and to deliver me. And she said, and she's crying. She said, to think he would come and visit me here in an antique store? And you know he will if the handmaidens and the servants of the Lord are listening and, and, and sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit. My sister said, well, honey, that's why he sent me. So she just, my sister loved on her for a moment. Like I said, she didn't know an arsenal of Bible verses. She knows enough to say the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. God loves you. You belong to him, right? And, and to say, you know, well, Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. May I pray for you? Well, she knows she's there on assignment. She knows God's going to back her up, right? So she just lays hands on the lady right there in the antique store. Didn't make a big scene about it. You know, quietly. And she laid her hands and she said, in the name of Jesus. And this is what she told me came out. Not always this way, but she said, I command the spirit of fear and death to come out of you. Now, sometimes there's spirits of infirmity that are enforcing disease. And unless those spirits are dealt with, you're not going to see the result that you need. Right. So she, by the spirit, addressed that. The lady's crying. And uh, she said, and be healed in the name of Jesus. Gave her a big old hug. Assignment's over, right? And she's going to leave. The lady said, hey, could I take your picture with my cell phone and get your number? My sister said, sure. So you know the story. I don't know if it was a month or a little later after she got a phone call. This lady called her, said, hey, uh, Miss Blackwater, do you remember me? I was in the uh, antique store. She said, of course I do. She said, I wanted to call and tell you something. I got to feeling so much better. I went back to the doctors. I asked them, please run tests. They said, there's no need. There's nothing we can do. She said, please run tests. They ran the test. She said, they could find no cancer anywhere in my body. Glory to God. That didn't happen in the church. That happened in an antique store. Right? Anybody with me? Woo! Am I boring you? All right. So I had these Jehovah's Witness. Anybody familiar with the Jehovah's Witness? Anybody ever been in Jehovah's Witness? Uh... I'm just kidding. <laughs> so anyway, I had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door. You got the trainer and the trainee. Are you familiar with that? So I went out on the porch. You know, didn't invite him in, but I did go out on the porch. And he's trying to do his uh, little presentation, this young guy. And he couldn't find his scriptures, so I'm trying to help him, you know, <laughs> find his scriptures. And I'm listening to what he had to say, you know, cordially. But... You know, he's, he's holding, he keeps grimacing in pain and holding the side of his face, you know. And finally I said, uh, what, what's the matter with you? And he said, I'm so sorry. He said, man, I'm in so much pain right now. I must have an abscess tooth or something. I don't know. Uh, I'll have to go tomorrow and get it checked out. Well, when he said that, I got a cue. Boing, just a sense. You know what I'm saying? And I said, hey, can I make you a deal? He said, I guess so. I said, now, I've listened with kindness and courtesy to what you're attempting to share. I said, but I'm a born-again Christian. I'm also baptized with the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. 
No man comes to the Father except through Him. There's no other name given among men whereby men must be saved. I said, now, can I share with you what I believe to be the, the way of salvation in a very concise form? And if what I share with you is valid, that same Jesus will heal you instantly. Deal? He said, deal. Now, the, 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 the trainer wasn't excited about it, but the trainee was because he was hurting. So I just shared the Roman road. You know what I'm talking about? Or the three spiritual, four spiritual laws, just real quick. And then I said, now let me pray for you. So I just put my hands on the side of his face right there on the porch. And I, you know, I didn't go, woo! <laughs> now we can do that in church and get excited if you want to. But you know, that's not the time and place. Don't want to scare, excuse me. Don't want to, uh, you know, scare the daylights out of people, Right? Sometimes that stuff's like uh, cotton candy when it gets wet. There's not much to it. You know what I mean? The power's in the name. <laughs> so I just put my hand on the side of his face and I said, in the name of Jesus, the name above every name, the name whereby men must be saved, be healed. Took my hand off. Hey, I'm not on the spot. This is God's business. Hey, it's with him now. Uh, what if he didn't get healed? Well, that's, that's not my business. I followed the cue. So I took my hand off. He said, his eyes got big as saucers. He said, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. And the trainer grabbed him and ran off. And I said, hey, 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 wait a minute. Come back. We got to close the deal, right? <laughs> but you know something, man? God impacted that young man. If you don't think Jesus will heal sinners, you're wrong. He'll heal a sinner before they're ever saved as advertisement. I took a drunk guy's hand one night, man, on the, and, and he was just drunk as a skunk. And I said, listen, don't you know Jesus loves you? <laughs> I said, God doesn't want you to live like this. I know it. I said, he's got a better plan for you. I know it. He's crying, you know, drunk. I said, take my hand. And man, I, I didn't expect to happen what happened. But I took his hand because I was just going to pray with him. And when I took his hand, God is my witness. The anointing of the Holy Spirit instantly evaporated all the alcohol in his system. And he, he said a curse word, the D word. He said, D, I'm sober. <laughs> and I said, I know you are because God wants you to listen to what I'm about to pray for you. Right? <laughs> So we prayed. I had him repeat the prayer of salvation. Gave him a little money and said, you know, get yourself something to eat and so forth. Don't go buy the booze. But the point is, hey, man, God wants our lives to be filled with that. All right? How many of you can give me five more minutes? I did that this morning. Five. You didn't raise yours, but I'll take five, 10, 15, 20. He's like, no, man, I got to go. I got to go to work. <laughs> what time is it? All right, I'm hurrying. But now listen. So, if I can't perceive the leadings of the Spirit unless I'm living and walking in the Spirit, right? Then quite naturally, I'm going to have to incorporate into my life certain spiritual exercises that nurture or foster a, 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 a life in the Spirit. And one of those, quite naturally... Uh, is what I would, not the only one, but if I'm going to stay filled with the Spirit, right? Which I have to if I'm going to walk in the Spirit. Then I need to pray, I would suggest, more earnestly and consistently 
in the Spirit. Now notice Ephesians 5.18. I think it may, I may have told you 15, but uh, we can start there. Ephesians 5 and verse 15. Uh, 15 through 18, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, be not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now notice, do not be drunk with wine, which in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit, right? So one way we can stay filled with the spirit and I've put this to practice, so I know the difference, is to pray more earnestly in the Spirit. Now, people say pray in the Spirit. Well, we let the Bible interpret the Bible. I know you're well taught, but there may be some people here who don't understand this terminology. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 2, If I speak in an unknown tongue, I speak not unto men, but unto who? Unto God. How be it in the Spirit? He speaks mysteries, right? So Paul equates praying in the Spirit with praying in this supernatural language called unknown tongues, which is what happened on the day of Pentecost, right? So thinking about this language of, of the Spirit, notice 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14 and 15. If I pray in an unknown tongue, what's happening? What's happening? My Spirit... Praise. If I pray in an unknown tongue, that's verse 14. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Then he goes on to say, so what is it then? I'll pray with the spirit. I'll pray with the understanding also. I'll sing with the spirit. I'll sing with the understanding also. So Paul said, you know, you're going to be benefited the most in your Christian life if you'll pray in both realms and dimensions with the understanding and also with the spirit. So when you pray in an unknown tongue, according to the scripture, your spirit, which is what you really are, is communicating with God on a, le uh, on a level and realm that supersedes your natural intellect. And listen, we need that. Is it beneficial? Well, obviously it is because think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, you know, in 1 Corinthians 14, look in verse 18 through 19. Look what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I thank my God. I speak in tongues more than you all. Yet, in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So what's he saying? He said, look, I pray in tongues more than all of you, right? But it's not inside the doors of the church for five you know, seconds or 10 seconds in the end, at the end of the song service exclusively. Well, if it wasn't in church, where was it? In his personal, private, devotional life, Paul prayed excessively in the Spirit by his own testimony. And guess what? He wrote the New Testament, two-thirds of the New Testament by Revelation, or half of it if you include the book of Revelations. Signs, wonders, and miracles. I mean, amazing ministry. Right? So there's something about this praying in the Spirit that sensitizes your spirit elevates your spiritual consciousness and makes us more sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Ghost. God needs us. 
Now in this season, as we await the coming of Christ, he wants us to impact people's lives and we need to be sensitive. And one way we can up our spiritual sensitivity and consciousness is to pray more earnestly in the spirit. Do you agree with that? So, uh, Howard Carter, and I'm almost finished, Howard Carter, who was the founder of the First Pentecostal Bible College in Great Britain, he made this statement. He said, speaking in tongues is not just to be the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit, but it is to be a continual source of infilling throughout one's life, a flowing stream that never runs dry. How many of you have heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Anybody? Smith Wigglesworth, man, he was over there in England, right? And this guy, I mean, he had 27 people raised from the dead, documented. I think he knows a little bit about the power of God. <laughs> and this is what he said. He said, it is a luxury to be filled with the Spirit, but it is also a divine command. Not to be drunk with wine where is in excess, but to be filled with the Spirit. He said, no Pentecostal person, I guess that would just be one baptized in the Spirit, should get out of bed in the morning without first getting lost in the Spirit, speaking to themselves in other tongues. He said, I maintain the opinion. If one would be continually filled with the Spirit, he will speak in the Spirit morning, noon, and night. Now, friends, I exercise that, and I can tell you the difference when you do and when you don't. Man, when you're riding in your car to work, don't waste your time with a bunch of frivolous thoughts. Pray in the Spirit. Put yourself on some good music. I got a CD out there called In His Presence. Oh, you'll hear it at the end. Man, it'll nurture the, 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 the atmosphere. Pray in the Spirit. In your home, if you're cooking dinner or whatever, pray in tongues. When I'm out in my yard cutting grass, trimming hedges, I don't waste an hour and a half doing that. Man, if I'm pushing the lawnmower, amen, just pray in tongues, right? <laughs> Edify yourself. Get sensitive. And you'll be amazed at what happens. So I'll give you one more quote. John G. Lake. Anybody ever heard of John G. Lake? He was an apostle to the continent of Africa and also had tremendous healing ministry here in the USA as well. But he was born in 1870, but he made this statement. He said, I want to speak to you with the utmost frankness concerning this particular language of tongues, which I speak mostly in the nighttime. He said, for I found it to be not only the source of power that I operate in on a daily basis, but also an invaluable source of revelation knowledge that I preach to people every day. Wow. Is it a source of power, friends? If it is, that should be scripturally supported. Do you know what it is? I'll give you this scripture and we'll stop. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. He who speaks in an unknown tongue does what? Somebody tell me. 1 Corinthians 14 and 4. He who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 4. You just write it down. Uh, edifies himself. Okay? Now, what does that mean? And, of course, he that prophesies edifies the church. But edifies, it means to build himself up. Right? So, the, the, uh, the, the Beck translation says, He who speaks in an unknown tongue encourages himself. 
The Webster translation, or the Knox says, He who speaks in an unknown tongue strengthens his own faith. Now here's my favorite, the Webster. He who speaks in an unknown tongue receives an uplifting and strengthening influence. What is that influence? The Holy Spirit. Right? I told you I was 18 years old when I went to a Catholic Bible study during the charismatic renewal and came out as a Baptist boy in a Catholic Bible study baptized in the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. Go figure. Amen. So it's a wonderful sense of empowerment. Uh, tonight, listen, my heart was to tell you as Andover Christian uh, Center, you know, every church has its particular spiritual DNA, as we call it. It's God-ordained purpose. God has raised you uh, up to be unique, to be, a, you know, a, a, a house that is different than, than other houses. Not all houses are to be the same. And your, your DNA here is, is men and women who are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And God would love to use you corporately to impact this community in a supernatural way. You're not going to get everybody to come to church, but you can certainly pray with them at the office if they ask you to, or you see a need, or someone in the grocery store, or at the gas station, and you're prompted to be a blessing and, and to pray for people. Amazing things will happen, right? But we got to be willing to get out of ourselves, stay full of the Holy Ghost, take our spiritual promptings, right? And be a blessing to people.